So good morning and welcome to Pep Talk podcast. My name is Nigel Robinson and I am speaking today with Neil Sharp, who is head of Guinness GB at Diageo. Neil, welcome. Hi, Nigel. Nice to speak to you. Thanks for having me. A real pleasure. It's, a, it's great to um, catch up. I know we've, we've had the fortune to work together in the past, but um, to kick us off, uh, Neil, perhaps if I could invite you to to maybe give us a, a rundown of your, you know, your life, your career to date, just to bring everybody up to date on who is Neil Shah and how we got to be on the other side of this microphone for this podcast today. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Nigel, for having me. It's a real pleasure. Um, so yeah, just let's um, maybe let's start take it from the top. So um, I have quite a um, uh, untraditional um, route into um, into marketing, particularly from um, where I started at university or or college, dependent on what side of the um, Atlantic you're on. Um, and um, yeah, and, and some real versatile and broad experience. So. I um, initially thought um, when I started university that I was going to become a scientist of some sort. And so I was at King's College um, in London studying biochemistry. I think very quickly I realised the prospect of being um, locked up in a lab for the rest of my life, despite um, a real positive impact that I could have. I I, I, I think it wasn't as exciting as a career in marketing, particularly one um, working on some amazing brands that that Diageo has. so, so from my um, college days, I took a number of extra courses on the side um, in psychology whilst, um, whilst I was reading that biochemistry degree. And that really helped um, cultivate uh, a, um, a, a kind of interest in why people make decisions and what drives those decisions, which quite neatly took me into um, marketing. Um, at that point, I, I got some advice on how to break into the marketing industry. And um, it's a, a kind of mentor of mine. Um, it gave me the advice to actually explore agencies as a first step because at agencies you could um, uh, you get a broad range of experience and exposure to to, to a variety of different clients and and, um, and and in a very fast paced environment, therefore leading to the opportunity to to kind of learn at pace um, about the industry. So I um, joined an agency called Splendid Communications, and at the time I was working on. Smirnoff, um, and I'll come back to that in a second because uh, my life does go full circle on, on that point about a decade later. Um, but but whilst I was at the agency, it was an amazing experience and, and absolutely um, what that mentor said was exactly correct, that I did get to learn um, at pace and, and um, you know, get exposure to a variety of different clients in addition to Smirnoff. But I think what I, dis- um, what I um, discovered really quickly was actually I wanted to be on the client side versus the agency side, um, partly because um, on the client side, it felt as though you had a bit more responsibility. You were sitting across the marketing mix versus one discipline. And also you were more integrated into business decisions. So working with finance, working with supply chain, et cetera. Um, so at that point, I um, decided to go back to university um, to do a master's in marketing at Queen Mary University of London. And um, from that point, I then um, applied to a variety of different graduate programs, um, mainly in the um, FMCG or CPG space. Um, but, but, but actually, I actually chose um, Virgin Media, um, who's now been out called Virgin Media 02, post, post-merger, but at the time it was just Virgin Media. I was really excited by the, the Virgin brand. It was the biggest Virgin operating company at the time. 
um, you know, really exciting industry in, in telco. So Virgin Media offer um, home phone, broadband, mobile um, and TV services. Um, and, and at the time, I think it was the, the fifth biggest um, budget in mar- uh, marketing budget in Europe around 88 million pounds. So really, really big scale um, initiatives. And, and whilst I was there on the graduate program, I went through a number of rotations, everything from um, uh, a commercial strategy type role, planning type role, um, looking after some um, big advertising campaigns, including those with um, Usain Bolt starring in them, which was a lot of fun, and um, and digital marketing. So Virgin Media at the time were really at the nexus of um, what was going on at digital. So some great learnings there. Um, and uh, after the graduate program, I went on to um, be a marketing manager over there, looking after um, the, the the rebrand and the repositioning of Virgin Media. Um, when I got a call to um, uh, come over to Diageo, which was a bit of a dream role at the time, I was really interested in switching to um, FMCG because um, it felt as though the marketing roles within FMCG uh, really position you as a bit of a general manager of the brand, which was um, really appealing to me. And Diageo, given its scale, its size, its um, amazing brands, and also very kind of progressive um, culture was was a real um, attraction to me. So I um I, I jumped over to Diageo. I started um, uh, as a senior brand manager, looking after a um, ready to drink portfolio across Europe. Um, and um, from there, I then um, moved over to New York, eventually being global marketing director on Smirnoff globally. And um, in October 2020, jumped back over the Atlantic during um, the global pandemic, which I don't recommend anyone does because that was um, pretty difficult. Um, to um, to be head of Guinness for GB, where I currently am at the moment. I was reading earlier about Arthur Guinness, the, the gentleman who started yeah. uh, the brand that you work for right now. And I, or I knew one thing to be true already about Arthur Guinness, that he signed a 9,000-year lease on the St. James's Gate Brewery, uh, which I find an amazing level of commitment, you know, back in the 1750s. Commitment and optimism as well. And I, and I think they're, two, they're two, um, two values that really resonate with me as well. Um, you know, he, he was a real future-facing um, individual and even even back then um, so much um, optimism for, for what the future could hold for, the, for this amazing brand so. and not least because I also learned this morning he had 21 children um, which is also quite a commitment but I understand you've, you've started heading in this direction as well so um, congratulations not 21 though um, <laughs> Nigel just 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 the one for now and I think that might be um, I think that might be enough to might be honest be all right. Well, look, well, congratulations. And Neil, thanks for telling us your story there. We're going to sort of double click on a few of those things during this podcast, particularly looking around how you, you know, have differentiated yourself over the years that enabled your success. And some of the, um, you know, the transitions that you've made, obviously, ge- geographically, you've jumped both to, to one side of the Atlantic and then and then back again um, in your career. So I'd be love to um, talk about those. Um, so my, my first question to kick us off this morning was is around that first move, perhaps, to to the United States. And what was it that inspired you to make that move? I think it was um, one of opportunity, um, to be honest. It was, um, you know, Smir- Smirnoff as a brand w- w- was at the time where um, it was in need of a bit of a refresh and a repositioning. And so that, that opportunity was there, but also to um, to experience a, another market, um, both from a living in another market perspective, so moving from London to New York, 
but also um, given the scope and the scale of the role um, on Smirnoff, it's a brand that um, um, touches 130 markets, giving you a real um, uh, opportunity to work with those of different cultures um, across the world. So if I if I take a step back, um, you know, I'm genuinely um, ge- uh, genuinely curious about culture. Um, and as I said, almost the decisions people make and what leads them to make those decisions. It's really why I got into marketing. And I'm really fortunate that Diageo is a company that allows um, opportunities all over the world, be it, you know, working in a global team or um, in, a, in a local market. Um, and this really gives you that kind of window into the world that um, is so important as to, for someone who's so curious. So um, the global marketing director role on Smirnoff was great because, as, as I said, it you know allowed me to live um, in a different market, but also um, get to understand, work with, and see um, up to 130 markets across the world. Yeah, so, amazing. Um, on any given day, I was you know speaking to co-workers in Brazil, India, Kenya, Australia, and and, and many more markets. Um, so you know, it, it, I think what was important there was um, to to kind of really harness that curiosity. Um, to make sure, you know, I was really um, making the time to learn about other cultures with people I was working with or or, the, or um, where the brand was operating in, um, understanding their ways of working and keeping a real sense of kind of self-awareness um, to how you come across, given the fact you, you know you're coming in from a different angle. Um, and then sensitivity and respect for when things are done differently and, and, and how they might be done differently based on different cultural context. So if I imagine, you know, maybe some people out there today who are considering making a move, um, such a move, perhaps across the Atlantic, maybe it's a geographic move, or maybe to take on a role such as the one that you uh, described there, which is, you know, very broad, very high impact, lots of cultural nuances. What would your advice be to people considering such a role? Yeah, so I I think it it does go back to, you know, maintaining that real curious mindset um, because, you know, you are going into a completely different culture, different structures, different ways of doing things, different um, um, different opinions. Um, and, and so just be, being really kind of curious is really key. Um, I think the other piece is um, around really immersing yourself and getting out there. So there's really no substitute to, to walking in the shoes of, of you know people who are from the culture that you're kind of embedding yourself into. So in my case at, at Diageo and on Smirnoff, it was around kind of getting into bars, that the grocery stores people would shop at all over the US and, and in markets when I visit them, you know, understanding what really makes people tick, um, what's exciting for them, you know, spending time talking to people and, and just really immersing yourself in 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 culture, I think is critical. Yeah, interesting. And I guess for those, you know, who, who work in these roles, it's been quite challenging over the past couple of years during COVID to actually spend time in the trade as it is known to really see what you know the businesses look like on the on the front lines. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, look, as I said, I, I personally haven't found a substitute for being out there. But I think in, in the times we've been living in, I think there have been some really interesting and inventive ways to um as a kind of almost close second to, to to understand cultures, and I think you know there is a lot to be said with just you know talking to people or you know even reading about things or get, getting connected to people outside of the the bubble of the industry, and that can really help as well. And, and Neil, going back to the moment where you were making a decision to do that or not to cross the Atlantic to do this this role, what was your, like your decision making process there? Were, were there barriers that you perceived that maybe? might have pushed you in the other direction in making that decision 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's a really good question. Um, it, for me, you know, with big decisions like that, it's really around kind of weighing up um, the opportunity, the impact that you can have, um, you know, what you can offer to the situation versus um, maybe some things that you might have to compromise on. So in my case, it was the fact I was moving um, two and a half thousand miles across an ocean, um, and that means you know you'd be it'll be less time with family, less time with friends, but you know, on balance, it was, um, it, it just felt like it was just a, almost such a great opportunity for both me and my wife um, that we couldn't really pass it up, to be honest. And I think New York had always been a um, city that had a lot of magnetism for us, the, the kind of the pace, the sense of urgency, the vibrancy. Um, so, yeah, it was, um, you know, one that we weighed up, but one that we found that, you know, moving over would have um, was, would, would have had more benefit for us than um, than staying in the short term. So thanks for sharing that. And your journey continues, you know, still, of course, um, with a move back after a very successful period with Diageo um, in New York, working on another amazing Diageo brand with with Guinness um, leading the business there in the GB. Um, if I if I get this right, you started that role during COVID. Um, which must have had its challenges in its own rights, just simply moving back to the UK during that period. But what's what's been your experience and your key learnings about leading um, a brand and people through the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I think it's one that we're still kind of figuring out, to be honest. As as you know, as a industry and a society, I, th- I think um, it goes without saying. Look, the pandemic has been challenging for for everyone, and and I think. I always try to add a kind of healthy dose of perspective um, into, into my viewpoint. And, you know, I'm grateful that my friends, my family, myself have been healthy and, and well. And, you know, that's a foundation is um, is success. Um, but, and, you know, I also feel really fortunate to work at a company like Diageo that has been really incredible in acting quickly to put in some amazing support structures for em- employees um, and a variety of different um, initiatives to make everyone feel like, you um, they could do the best that they could in their roles during this time. Um, but as you said, look, um, in my situation, the challenges I faced um, uh, leading through a pandemic were more around um, relationship building, I'd say. So um, I moved to my new role. So I moved from New York back to London um, in October 2020, which was um, peak um, of one of the um, second or third lockdowns uh, in the UK. So I couldn't meet my team, my stakeholders, my partners, um, customers face to face and as someone who really um, typically has built relationships by really being around people um, and immersing myself in, in kind of conversations it was initially quite difficult candidly um, so, so I had to kind of take a step back and find other ways to build relationships um, uh, in absence of being able to get into the same room as people or grab a Guinness with someone um, for instance so it, it so for me it was almost trying to break the cycle um, of um, those back-to-back zooms that we all experience so more informal catch-ups and maybe actually taking it outside of zoom and into a phone call which seems a bit um, old school but, um, but but I think we're all suffering a little bit of zoom fatigue so that really helped um, I mean also just um, making my not being too hard on myself um, you know that we were um, facing a hugely different context and 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 so therefore it was a bit it was okay for these relationships to uh, to form uh, in a little bit longer than they would have pre-covid um i think the other thing was um maintaining a real um sense of empathy as well 
Um, because I think what's really important is, you know, the pandemic outside of work and at work um, affected people in so many different ways. Everything from, you know, maybe um, uh, kind of family or friends have been impacted um, or, you know, jobs have been um, uh, in question. And, you know, there's a number of ways that this uh, pandemic affected people. So just really making sure that that was really front of mind um, in any conversation I was having with everyone as well. Yeah, nice. And I like your um, observation there, particularly. I mean, I think as leaders during the pandemic, we've had uh, we've learned a lot about leading with compassion, as well as curiosity that you brought up um, earlier. But having compassion for yourself and not beating yourself up too much, I think is actually you know great advice and something that we that isn't talked about enough, perhaps, um, as we learn how to lead in this. Well, what is now becoming perhaps a hybrid way forward and what what are your views on that Neil what do you feel like um you know the the office is going to look like in the future do you feel like we'll we'll get back to where we came from will it be different how how do you think things will shape up yeah I mean again it's like a huge huge question um but I think a a really um topical one for sure I I think people have um you know readdress the balance between work and life and and I personally um don't believe in a perfect balance of work life balance um I think sometimes you know the balance skews a bit more to work and sometimes it it skews um a bit more to life and I think my personal approach has always been my work working around my life um and I think that's what we're getting to with the pandemic where you know I I don't think it has to be a trader you know I think people can have amazing careers whilst having amazingly fulfilling lives and I think um uh, one good thing that has come out of you know uh, horrible events such as the pandemic has been that we've all had to take a collective step back and and just really look at um how we want those two things to um to interact and and I think most people have got to a place where you know they want a little bit more flexibility um and and what's great to see is particularly more progressive companies like Diageo have absolutely um, you know been adaptable and, and and heeded to that kind of call and, and and what we're seeing at Diageo is you know a more hybrid model going forward which I think um, is in everyone's benefit um, both from how people perform at work but also how people um, get value from you know their work and their and their lives so yeah I think I think it'll be a more hybrid and I think you know it will continue to evolve over time which which is important because you know um the model we had before of you know nine to five five days a week um had it felt a bit outdated compared to where society had had, had taken us both from a you know what um technological standpoint but also from how you know, people's lives have changed with it being more busier or um, more more things uh, as part of it so yeah more more hybrid model I'd say a question here on your on on leadership. Um, well, I'm always inspired to understand or to learn a bit more about how leaders have found success, particularly where they've had to work in you know, in different cultures. And you talked earlier about working across different cultures with the Smirnoff brand, um, but very specifically, you have had to find success working in the United Kingdom and also working in New York. Um, how is your leadership style? Have you adapted it or how has it changed, if at all, between operating in, in those two different cultures? Yeah, I think it's, it's a great question and a really important one. And, and, and one that I have, you know, from working in you know, regional kind of European context through to local markets and then global roles, it's, it's one that has certainly been front of mind. I think for me, the key thing is adaptability. Um, and 
not taking a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, so just um, ensuring that you are um, really flexing your style for, for, for the different contexts that you're operating in. And I think what I've learned is, um, you know, it, it takes time for you to feel more and more comfortable with you flexing your style. Um, and, you know, putting yourself in situations outside of your comfort zone can, can really help accelerate this. Um, the other piece related is um, being really clear on your own values and what your own purpose is, um, because I think this can act as a real North Star to um, ensure you're as authentic as possible, regardless of the context you're in. Um, and personally, it, it took me a while to get to a really clear point of being able to distill down my values and my purpose. But I was able to do so actually um, from this amazing program. Um, uh, by the Marketing Academy, um, check them out if you haven't heard of them, um, uh, a, a leadership um, uh, group focused on um, developing leaders in the marketing industry. And they've got a program called The Scholarship, um, which really helped me define my values and my purpose and, and, and candidly was a real career breakthrough. Um, so yeah, definitely get really, really clear on your values and your own purpose. To build on that is how to how do you make the connections between your personal values and purpose, and then find those brands out there where you have this amazing connection, right, between where you stand and where the the brand stands, and that that really amplifies you as a leader, perhaps, and and the brand itself. Yeah, I, I think that's really well said. I think you know your per, my personal belief is your purpose and values should not change between you know personal and, and work. I mean, ultimately, they are. The articulation of what makes you you and what gets you out of bed but i think the more that you can you know find yourself on brands or you know um in situations that um uh, are, are more kind of related to your values and your purpose i think the more happy and the more successful um you'll be and certainly um, guinness has been a real kind of godsend from that sense and um, we talked about kind of arthur guinness opti his, his optimism and his kind of future facing um uh, view uh, of the world, which are certainly things that really resonate with me uh, and my kind of curiosity and my approach. So um, that's been amazing. And it would be remiss of me not to ask a question around, um, you know, Guinness right now and what are the, you know, the inspirational things that are happening with that amazing brand. So what should our listeners know about what's happening at Guinness right now? Um, so look, I think um, it goes without saying, um, Nigel, there were a few things that would uh, tempt me to jump over an ocean during a pandemic, and, and Guinness is certainly one of them. Um, it's a real privilege to get to work on Guinness. It's it's an icon. Um, so we're actually the most distinctive beer brand in GB um, and the third most distinctive brand overall, um, only after Apple and Airbnb. Um, but, you know, this iconicity is, um, for me, all about staying relevant. Um, and the way that we think about um, this is almost staying true to, to our heritage, but at the same time looking forward to reflect the amazingly diverse society we have in GB. So as we continue to look forward on the brand, um, we're, we're excited to welcome a whole new generation of um, 18 plus year old drinkers in GB to enjoy and experience our brand. So, you know, what, what you'll see is everything from kind of a product perspective and innovation. So this could be like a new variant um, that is relevant for what um, uh, a, young, a, a different drinker is looking for. So for instance, we recently launched Guinness Zero to um, offer people the opportunity who are who wanting a Guinness, but not wanting alcohol. Um, they can now have both um, a non-alcoholic Guinness. Um, it's fantastic. So to please try it if you haven't. Um, also how we support diversity um, within our activations. So 
as part of our um, headline sponsorship of the, um, the Guinness Six Nations, um, we have a program called Never Settle, which is about how we are um, encouraging diversity and inclusion and everyone to feel like they belong in, in, in rugby and, and sporting occasions more broadly. I and mean, then even just the types of brands we partner with. So Lad Bible, for instance, who we've done quite a lot of work with over the last 18 months. And we're talking to a, um, a different consumer than we would have normally specifically talked to in, in, in a different way, more digitally led. So you'll be seeing a lot more of this. Um, and then also um, just to ensure that we're truly imb embedding ourselves into culture and serving the communities we operate in. So as part of this, we've, um, we've recently uh, announced some very exciting plans um, to build a £73 million Guinness microbrewery and culture hub called the Old Brewer's Yard um, in London's Covent Garden. Um, and that's coming in autumn 2023. So lots more on that and lots more um, to come on how that will um, be in service to the community and, and create really great experiences for, for Guinness fans and, and new Guinness fans alike everywhere. So really, really excited about that piece. All right. Well, look, Neil, it's been a real pleasure today um, chatting with you here. And thank you for sharing, you know, your insights, your story, um, the amazing brands that you've had the opportunity to work with in your life. And hopefully there's been a few nuggets in there for people who, A, wanted to know more about you, but also who are considering their own careers, moves they might make today or in the in the future. Um, so thank you very much for your your time. Thank you, Nigel. The pleasure's all mine and I can't wait for us to be able to grab a pint of Guinness um, sometime in the future.